Hi everyone, this is Amber Shaw, founder and CEO of Adorsis, a laboratory data management software company. Welcome to Adorsis Lab Software Podcast. Joining me today is a very special guest, Darren Platt. Darren is Chief Information Officer and President at Dimitrix. One of his roles is to oversee the team that handle data management and analysis for Dimitrix cell engineering platform. Prior to Dimitrix, Darren was VP of Data Science at Amherst, head of research at 23andMe, and led the computing effort at the Joint Genome Institute from DOE and XLexis, overseeing several multi-million dollar software projects and large teams of software developer in biotech settings, covering DNA sequencing, consumer genomes, and synthetic biology. Great to have you back, Darren. Absolute pleasure to be here. We're going to continue the topic of software development resources from our last episode. So last time, we looked at how software development group in biotech space are different from other industries. And you gave some great tips on how to stay competitive against big tech industries, big tech companies. Today, let's talk about hiring. Is there um, any specific job site that you usually post your job to? you know, any size tailored specific to biotech industries needs or or, or, or just in general? I think it's, I mean, recruiting is one of the hardest things we do. And the problem is that we're looking for good software developers and they could have been working for anyone. So if we just put things out in biotech space, we may miss a really good software developer who wants to leave, you know, a bank or NASA or something and come and work for us. Um, so we we definitely push things through LinkedIn, and that's been very, very helpful. We use uh, biotech-specific forums like Biospace or SymbioBeta. Um, I'd say better for getting the more sort of biology jobs, less good for getting sort of software developers. And then just leveraging personal networks. A lot of people um, end up applying because they're friends or, you know, they live with or they know somebody who already works for the company and sort of raves about it, or they just reach out to me. I've had surprising success with my current team recruiting from Twitter. Um, we use F Sharp pretty exclusively, and that's a small, tight-knit community, and so everybody knows everybody. And so I've just seen people on Twitter saying, I need a like an F Sharp job, or I put something out there and people reply, and that's been really actually quite successful. Um, and then we always try and we always try to reach out to communities that might otherwise not necessarily apply to us at the same rate. So we've posted on women who code, um, a specialty forums for people in incubators, startup incubators and things like that, just trying to get sort of different types of people coming to us. Um, had a steady supply of interns over the years, some really, you know, bright, often kids sort of at different stages of their um, learning who come and work for us for a while, go back to school and then may or may not come back and sort of take a full-time job when they're finished. Sometimes they'll even go on and get a PhD, and so it might be years before they come back to you, but a intern can be a pretty good investment. But you have to be very creative. It's definitely a, a competitive field. It's great to hear that um, you're posting jobs on Women Who Code. I'm actually part of the group. I know there's a lot of the good talents in, in that group. And then for interns, cool. do you usually find a specific uh, college to post? Or do you just post on LinkedIn and specify this is an intern position? I've actually, I've done it two ways. Um, I've definitely, just opportunistically, we've had people reach out and say, are you looking for interns? And often we're too busy to even say, look, we would take an intern. But if we get a good candidate who just takes the initiative and reaches out to us, we'll definitely consider them. 
and then some years where we've been a little more focused and said we definitely want to recruit you know some interns for the summer we have put ads out on our website and through the usual means but also targeted schools um where they have good traditional cs programs or biocomputing programs um and just ask people there sort of through contacts um to put our job up on notice boards and things like that and that's worked quite well um, and I've been privileged to work with some incredibly smart people early in their career that way. I see. That's great. So when I hire for my company, I typically like to hire someone for long term. To no filter job. that, one thing I looked at is their employment background, you know, histories. How long have they stayed at each job in, in the past? I wonder, are there any specific traits that you have noticed that make someone stay in the biotech industry longer than others? I, that's a hard question to answer. I'm not sure I really have the necessarily have precise enough statistics to tell you why somebody stays or doesn't. And we, you know, I would always do all the the usual sort of good practices when you're hiring somebody, checking references and things like that, um, to make sure that they're going to be a good fit for what we want. And um, you know, somebody leaves a job repeatedly, it's not necessarily they're a bad you know program. It's just that it's not a good fit for what they want to do. I Definitely have noticed that people with domain experience, so biologists, are more people who come more from the biology side are more likely to stick in biocomputing because it's their long-term passion. If you're just a software developer and what you care about is writing good software and it doesn't really matter whether it's for you know NASA or you know SpaceX or us or somebody else, then it might be harder to convince them that biotech is absolutely the thing they want to be. Um, if it's just purely software motivating them. A lot of things that sort of either keep people in a job or drive them away from it are the management practices. Do you work for a high-performing team? If you're basically part of a high-performing team that's having success and impacting users, that's a pretty good recipe for getting people to stay in any job for sort of the long term. And then people get motivated for all sorts of reasons. I just want to learn language X. You know, and if you're using language X, they might stay, and if you're not, they may, you know, they may look elsewhere. So I think it's a, it's pretty hard to understand. There's definitely benefits to having people there um, over a longer period of time because you invest an enormous amount of time in them learning your domain and coming up to speed and building a lot of software. So we, we like people who like us and want to stay. Right. I agree with that 100%. So for developers who have not worked in the biotech industry, but are interested in building scientific softwares and if they don't have the background in science or or connection even in this industry what's your advice for them to get into this space yeah i think the first thing is just don't be deterred by the lack of knowledge about biology most any sane company that is building complicated software should be really excited about taking a great software developer so your software development credentials should be enough to get you in the door and then they should want to invest in all of the things you need to learn. As I said, I think um, earlier, some a good team will be made up of people who are really strong biologists with a little bit of programming and people who are really strong programmers with a little bit of biology. And um, <clears throat> so companies, we do, for example, we have um, coffee and science on a Friday where we just pick a scientific topic and the people who are a little bit more um, biologically inclined We'll go over some interesting sort of bit of sort of biotechnology and explain it to the software developers. Um, so that's one way to do it. If you really feel like you need to pick up as much of it as possible before you get the job, um, then I definitely recommend classic things like networking, find meetups that are sort of crossovers between 
um, technology and biotechnology. For example, we tend to present every year on what we're doing at the Open F-Sharp conference, which is mostly about F-Sharp, but we'll go and talk about the biology we're doing there just to get people interested. Um, and then you, you can even, if you're really keen to just sort of dive in and a company doesn't have a full-time position for you, they'll often take, um, take you on as an intern with the understanding that they're going to get really good software development out of you and you're going to get a really good education in biology and maybe it'll be a longer term match. And I've seen people definitely do that when they're interested in changing jobs and they wanted to dip their toe in without sort of really strong commitment on either side. Is there um, any specific meetups uh, you would recommend? Oh, that's a good question. Um, it's I've got a very distorted perspective on this because I tend to go to meetups for the software technology. Um, but I definitely know there are working groups around things like particular lab instruments or particular biotech activities like testing and um, medical testing and things like that. Um, right. And sometimes associated with conferences. They can be a little bit expensive, but I often recommend if people want to get a real taste for um, a field like synthetic biology, go to Synthetic Biology Beta, the annual conference there, and you'll get a really good sample of all the different things that um, go on. And I've personally helped a lot of just friends and friends of friends get oriented around biotech um, just because I'm excited about it and like to bring people into the field. So I have uh, one last question for you, Darren. What would you like to see in this industry as a whole to improve uh, in the next few years? Uh, is uh, also an excellent question and probably an area where I have to bite my tongue on a few things. I don't want to offend anybody, <laughs> but um, I think anybody who's been in the field for a while knows about sort of a lot of our weak spots. And I think to be fair to everyone, this is like a brutal field um, for breaking and validating software methodologies. If you take a regular software company building a website, if you've got 10, 20 developers you're going to succeed or not succeed based on sort of whether you you know you, you have a good idea probably or not you'll have enough software developers to build it often in biotech we're doing a lot of very complicated things really fast um, building very complex software the requirements are changing as the biology changes and it really shows up good and bad sort of approaches to building software so without naming names i would say make sure particularly for vendors who are building products that have software embedded in them, make sure you're really investing in good people who understand how to write good software. Um, there's a ton of bad software out there and often it gets abandoned. So you buy you know, a reader that reads something and it comes with software and they release that software and they never fix it. And it has all sorts of bad bugs, sometimes even security vulnerabilities and they, they just never, you know, never get around to fixing it. Um, and I think there's sort of bad and, you know, we paid for a, an instrument that was many hundreds of thousands of dollars and it came with its software on a CD. We had to actually go out and buy a CD reader to install it. You know, you should be making software available for download. That seems like a pretty basic thing in sort of 2020, but some organizations, I think, spend so much time building the instrument, they don't have time to finish the software. Um, and I think as a positive example, there are newer vendors like um, Oxford Nanopore, that have built really strong communities around their customers so their customers can log into their Git repo, they can pull software, they can even send them patches and stuff like that. So they're trying to sort of get a lot of help. And one other just general piece of advice would be, I'm, I'm tired of writing the same thing over and over again. I think of biotechs as like sandcastles on the beach that sort of get wiped out every time the tide comes in. 
and we sort of fail to learn from all of that investment. And so to the extent we could encourage people to share more software, share more data models of good ways of representing workflows um, and different types of data, I think that would benefit everyone. Um, and then just pay attention to your software development tools and methodologies so you're not shipping crap. Yeah, I, um, I, I totally can hear you when you say you're tired of uh, writing the same thing over over again because I'm in the same boat. That's why yeah. I love a Duracis because you're going to solve this problem for everyone. So I can just say go and use that. Well, that's what we're trying for sure. Well, thank you, uh, Darren, so much for coming on the show and sharing your experience with the listeners. And this concludes our mini-series, uh, kind of concludes our mini-series on the software development for biotech industry. I had a lot of fun talking with you, and I really appreciate your, um, your feedback and time. Cool. Thanks, Amber.